Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Continuous Testing Live. This is our first episode of 2019, which is crazy, but we've had a ton of stuff going on at the start of the year. Some pretty exciting stuff. Uh, you may remember that at the towards the end of 2018, we announced our merger with QA Symphony. That is all fully closed now. That happened at the start of the year, uh, and we're all now one big happy family. That took a lot of uh, time to get to know our new colleagues. We had a massive website relaunch of Tricentis.com to combine all of our assets there from all the great things from the QA Symphony side with all the great things from the Tricentis side. So I definitely recommend you going to check out Tricentis.com. It's a brand new look and feel. Uh, And just a whole lot of other merger stuff that we've been kind of busy with. But that is now all done. We are all running at top speed. And this show is officially back and in regular rotation, so thank you for your patience. If you're new to this program, Continuous Testing Live is Tricentis' show where we interview some amazing guests in the world of software testing about every topic imaginable. Agile testing, DevOps, exploratory testing, test automation, AI, digital transformation, performance testing, and all of this falls under the Continuous Testing umbrella. And it's our hope that you know a little bit more about each of these topics after each episode and that they inspire you to go out and learn and share even more. This week, we are featuring a conversation we had with Jenny Bramble on one of her favorite topics, as well as ours here at Tricentis, which is risk-based testing. Jenny gives outstanding talks on this subject, which I highly recommend you seek out online after listening to this episode. You should be able to find some recordings of those on YouTube or I think also over at Ministry of Testing. I got the chance to sit down with Jenny to learn more about how she views risk-based testing and how she's helped build a culture and support system around it at her organization. And it was really cool because it was full of perfectly actionable items that you can do at your organization if a solid risk-based testing approach is currently missing. So let's get on with this week's episode of Continuous Testing Live. This is our conversation with risk-based testing expert, Jenny Bramble. So I saw you speak at a uh, CAST 18 conference. Uh, that is where you, right? Okay, just making sure, because Agile Testing Days is right around the same time. Okay, so I saw you speak at, uh, at CAST 18 earlier this year, and I, and I noticed, noted where you said, uh, defining terms lets us communicate across cross-functional teams. Uh, I know that the audience of this show is not only software testers, so if you don't mind, let's go ahead and, and define risk-based testing so that people know what we're talking about and what we're not. Awesome. So... Risk-based testing is testing for the risks of an application use case or feature. You're looking to say, hey, what's the most risky thing? And that can be a little bit weird. Basically, what is risk? Everyone's got a different view. Everyone's got this idea that they know what risk is. And a lot of times, that's not really the case. We all have a different idea. For example, uh, I I like my coffee sweet. So does my sister. When I say sweet, I mean like a half a cup of sugar, and she's like a teaspoon kind of girl. So we had to sit down together and define what sweet meant so that she could make a cup of coffee that I wouldn't reject. Risk-based testing is similar. We need to define risk so that we can talk about what risk-based testing is. And when I define risk, it's the impact of failure and the probability that that failure will happen. 
And both of these are kind of educated guesses as to what's going to go on with your application. So we talk about requirements changing all the time, things like agile welcoming changing requirements. How often should you expect risk to be able to change? Uh, and are there ever any cases where, you know, it changes, but, you know, maybe you early on, everyone defined or got that common uh, definition of what risk meant to the company. If something comes along that changes risk, you know, do you need to make sure that everyone is kind of informed that there's been a change of what we're calling risk and, and what we're not? So to address the last part first, the definition of risk isn't really going to change. You're always going to have your impact. You're always going to have your probability. What's going to change is the values of those numbers. The impact may be more. The probability may be more. They may be less. They may be, it could be less. Uh, so what you're looking for there is to consistently keep up with what these things mean. And I like to talk about it in grooming a lot because that's a time when the whole team is together and we can say, hey, how do we feel about this? Do we think the impacts we've got are still the same? Do we think that the risks are still the same? Or has there been a change we should discuss? So how did you get into valuing risk this much, understanding that it would benefit you or your customers or whatever that, that motivation was? It's the kind of thing where I know that my boss talks about risk-based testing a lot, but when you look across a conference's you know, agenda, you have you know X number that are on automation, some that are on exploratory testing. Now there's a bunch on AI, but I, I don't know that I've seen more than one that had risk-based testing in the title. And it may come up in the abstract or in the presentation at some point, but how did you get into it enough to consistently you know, propose this topic being discussed as maybe the only session that covers it at more than one conference? So classic Jenny answer on this one. Uh, I wanted to give a presentation and I looked around at different topics and said, okay, what interests me? Mm -hmm. And the company I was at at the time uh, was digital marketing and we were having a lot of strange failures in our sprints, a lot of weird bugs come up and a lot of that was because we were being told what to test instead of deciding what to test. Mm -hmm. So I started looking, looking into risk-based testing as a way to help the team decide what to test. And as I started looking at it, I'm like, wow, this is kind of cool. <laughs> so I did more reading. I started reading blog posts. I read a bunch of books and all this stuff. And I'm like, wow, this could really be helpful. And I, I like presenting it at conferences because it's not necessarily a methodology. Mm -hmm. It's not a tool. It's not tied to automated or manual testing. It's a thought process. Mm -hmm. It's a way to think. It's a way to communicate. And I feel QA is very emotional. For me especially, I'm an emotional creature. And this helps me express my emotions in a way that makes sense to the application. Instead of saying, I feel bad about this, I can say this feels risky. And we know what I'm talking about. That's great. <laughs> That's really, really great. Um, I'm kind of the same. Super good at soundbite. <laughs> I'm gonna say I'm kind of, I'm kind of the same way as far as I I kind of think of myself as one of the more emotional people in that things you know get to me and things make me either worry or wonder and that kind of stuff. But it's like that doesn't always translate at a business level, and that's why I think it's really interesting that risk-based testing is not as uh, prominent on the agenda as it as it could be, and I think that that's probably going to change. Um, just because uh, of, the, of the amount that we've talked about lately, at least at Tricentis where I am, is that testing, uh, whether you believe testing is changing or evolving or whatever, that, whatever it is, 
the, the business is, is starting to recognize testing as being a lot more closely aligned with what they're tasked with than maybe they did in the past. And by seeing that testers can have the ability to be focused on business risk while not having to sacrifice, you can still care about these people and care about these <laughs> things, is, is really nice to see that you can actually keep being you but still have a much bigger impact uh, to the business um, just purely from being recognized as being able to contribute to that. So I feel like the emotional component of a team is really important. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times whenever you look at a team, you talk about, okay, I need a Java guy. Mm -hmm. I need a front-end girl. I got to get all these, these technical, technical things to mm -hmm. build my team properly. But the emotional component is so important. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to be the user, to appeal to the user, to make software that will appeal to them. And that's one of the things I love about the place I'm at now, Willow Tree, is we try and make delightful apps. We recognize that emotional component and we say, this is important. Mm -hmm. This is what sets us apart. And, and you'll get to a point a lot of times where people don't understand it. Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, that's just Jenny being Jenny. Right. But when you start to show the value of the emotional component, the value, the value of emotion in software testing, people are going to start recognizing that it is valuable, that it is something that's irreplaceable on a team. Cool. Love it. <laughs> a lot. Um, so something else from your, your session, I believe even in the title, uh, was about you know that we've convinced everyone that risk-based testing is important and that, uh, that it's worthwhile and that it's uh, something that testers can provide as this assessment of risk and, and an evaluation of what's, uh, what's new that's going to cause risk or something that's always been around. But you say even in the title of your session that you can't test everything, <laughs> which I'm sure makes management somewhat uneasy, especially if they believed that you can. Um, is there any risk for a tester who thinks that maybe they're viewed that way, that they can and do test everything even when they don't? And how do they, how do you uh, speak to management or executive level, whatever it may be, to let them know that not only can't you test everything, but that that's okay? Oh, that is a hard one. Uh, when I first started at my new job, we had a, a sign on the wall that said, test everything. Mm. And I was like, um, I literally have a presentation that says we can't do that. Right. <laughs> Can we have a conversation? Yeah. And, and this is another place where communication is important. Because when they said test everything, they didn't mean every little teeny itty bitty thing. They meant make my client happy. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times when someone says test everything, that's not what they mean. Mm -hmm. They mean meet all the requirements. Right. They mean meet all my expectations. They mean do make sure that the application does the thing and does it well. Mm -hmm. So when you start to have the conversation around test everything, you're not really having a conversation where you say, I cannot do that. Because that's very negative, and it's right. and people will immediately get defensive, and be like, rrr, rrr, "That's your job." Mm -hmm. So instead, you start talking about setting expectations. You start saying, "What do you expect from the app? Mm -hmm. How can I help you meet those expectations?" Okay. So that's what I, I said to my team. I'm like, I, "I can't test everything. You're setting an impossible goal. Can we instead say, ensure the application meets all the expectations of our client?" They're like, oh, that's nice. How do you spell right. expectations? Yeah. <laughs> and that was way better and way more productive for me than saying, I cannot. That's saying, I can do this. Okay. Is that what you're looking for? Mm -hmm. And that was that was pretty awesome for me. That's good advice. 
I have a bucket of advice. <laughs> so along those same lines of you know not being able to test everything, I know that you talk about uh, risk factors that um, you can, con not so much that you can control, risk factors you can control or that you can test against and ones that you can't. What are some of those things that are outside of your, con your control or outside of your scope as a tester that uh, organizations just have to, to live with? That these are, these are either untestable or they're un, uh, uh, shining a spotlight on them. That's unable to be done. What's something that is a risk that, that might always be impossible to, to detect? i got to go with hurricanes on that one. Yeah, I, remember you, I remember you had natural disasters. I remember that was one. So there's, there's a lot of things that we don't have control over that we can't really mitigate. Um, I, I say hurricanes and I laugh, but we just had Hurricane Florence down in North Carolina, mm -hmm. and they're literally routing people around the state. Mm -hmm. Like, we can't get stuff. And that's super risky. If I was in a manufacturing company, that would mean I can't get my product. So for testers, uh, potentially, we've got oh, we have a lot of stuff that we can't really control that the business has to just sort of deal with. And those can be things like timelines, money, physical limitations, technical limitations. Uh, I had a client once ask us, uh, like, hey, can you add these six pieces of information to the app? We want them displayed. Like, oh, yeah, it was six, six, it was same, same, same. Well, it turns out the API we were using only gave us four pieces of information. Uh, and the client wasn't going to change it. Hmm. So we could say, yes, we'll do that, but then our risk is their API. And that's something we can't control. Hmm. Uh, so you can have that kind of uh, risk you can't control, the natural disaster one. Sicknesses are absolutely something. And... Human limitations and the limitations of time. People burn out. Mm -hmm. People burn out hard if you work them too much. Mm -hmm. And the only way to control that is to work less, to be able to do less, and sometimes that's not an option. Okay. That was sort of a rambly answer. No, no, it's good. That was good. <laughs> um, so going back to the positives, not, not, not just the things that you can't test for, but the things that you can and the things that you can evaluate the risk levels of. I know you talk about a risk matrix that can be developed. Um, again, kind of probably too long for a, a single short podcast, but... <laughs> How does that matrix, kind of like how you define risk early on or how you define a set of requirements or a set of expectations, who all gets to contribute to what goes into that matrix? Who all kind of needs to be involved in that early on? And then who are some of the different teams that that matrix can be shown to where they can get the information from it that matters to, to them and their expectations? The easy answer is everyone. Okay. <laughs> the hard answer is not everyone. Right. <laughs> Whenever you're starting to develop a risk matrix, you need enough people to get a clear picture of the application, but not so many people that the picture becomes muddy. Right. Imagine you're painting something, you're pa making a painting. You need a certain amount of colors to make the painting look beautiful and vibrant and lively. Mm. But when you start having too many colors, you start getting too much, your eye can't take it all in. Unless you're a modern artist, good job, y'all. Mm -hmm. uh, but you don't want to muddy it up. And that's a lot of times what can happen is when you get 18 people in a room, you're going to have a discussion about one item's impact of failure for 20, 40 minutes. Mm -hmm. So I like to pull in as few people as possible. I'm generally going to want someone to represent the business, mm -hmm. someone to represent development, and someone to represent the customer. 
those three people will generally give you enough of a picture to be able to start a risk matrix. Okay. Um, I think the last one I ran, I actually had five QA people, like just QA people. Mm -hmm. And that was a little bit weird because we didn't have a full picture of the application. Mm -hmm. So what we ended up doing was we came up with something with those five people and then presented it to development and business and said, hey, what do you all think? And that uh, made it to a point where we could clear it up and we could be like, oh, wow, mm -hmm. now we have a better picture because we have a starting place. Mm -hmm. Did you have more questions? No, that's okay. it. Okay, cool. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I get so laser focused on no, the thing no, I want to say. No, I was curious if, is if when you create one of those, if it's the kind of thing where you've got a different version for each party that's going to get information from it, or is it one matrix where you possibly have the risk of, you know, you, you have to put all the information into it. How, how do they kind of pick out? what's for them and, and what numbers are for other people or is it just as simple as a spreadsheet where you just click on the tab that's you know addressed to you when, when you create something like that oh I think it's one risk matrix for everyone because everyone sees risk differently right. but there's one number there's one impact there's one probability and I'm gonna see probabilities from a technical standpoint I'm gonna say oh the technical limitations on that is, oh, it's so bad. And business is going to be like, well, if we don't do it, we're going to lose a million dollars. And that's two different views of one risk. Right. And as we get more views, we'll start to refine that and we'll start to say, okay, this is the number that brings all of our views, all of our pieces of, all of our, our strokes of paint into one painting. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and then... Then just lastly, you said that, um, you know, as you started to think about this and think that this was really cool and you went online and read some stuff about it, do you have any advice for someone who hears this podcast or who goes to your session, goes back home, wants to start something like this up, where they can go and kind of get some more, you know, visual uh, examples of, of what they can start to use to build something like this for themselves? Well, follow me on Twitter. Good. <laughs> Uh, I've, I've got a couple of blog posts coming out. I think I've got one already up on Tech Beacon that has a couple of these visual examples. And I'm going to have a paper coming out of Pacific Northwest Software Quality Conference that will have a few more examples. And I'm always willing to chat with people, always willing to give advice if there's something you want to talk about. Other great resources. Um, I have a list of them somewhere. Who the hell knows? Pretty much anything out there is going to give you an idea of risk-based testing. You're going to see a bunch of matrix. You're going to see something that works for you. And a lot of times I like to say that if it works for you, that's right. Yeah. Because you don't have to do it exactly like I do it. You don't have to be exactly like me. You don't have to be exactly like anyone, honestly. You should do what works for your team, your situation, and your particular life experiences. And if that's what I do, that's awesome, and I'd love to help you with it. And if that's something slightly different, you do you. That is going to do it for this week's episode. I want to give a big shout out to Jenny Bramble for sitting down with us and for her patience while waiting for this episode to go live. And if you want to be the first to know when new episodes go live, the best way to do that is to subscribe to the show. You can do that at iTunes or the Google Play Store or SoundCloud just by searching for Continuous Testing Live. And one last bit of housekeeping. I mentioned the Ministry of Testing earlier. Wanted to give them a quick plug. Tricinus is sponsoring their 30 Days of Testing Challenge 
uh, this month over uh, for the month of March, um, and it is on testability. We love working with Ministry of Testing. We'll hopefully get to do a lot more with them in the future because they really do a lot of really cool stuff for the testing community, and we were happy to sponsor this campaign and those to come. Thank you so much for joining us. Again, uh, new and regular listeners alike, we will be back soon with another episode of Continuous Testing Live.